folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here today. Later in the program, we'll talk about Paradise, California, bouncing back after the most horrific wildfire in U.S. history. We'll also talk about the DNC voting down a climate debate and other assorted uh, Democratic Party gems. We'll also talk about the uh, our, our fearless leader at the G7 Summit, the uh, climate meeting he skipped, and his um, proposal to... Nuke a hurricane, for Christ. Anyway, uh, before, we, uh, before we get into all that, we're going to talk about uh, bees. And before that, we're going to thank some of the folks who helped make this program possible. Uh, the local businesses here in Des Moines have been uh, um, great allies in this program. I want to thank uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Thanks to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. And thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street, authentic Mexican food, at great prices with very friendly, helpful service. And thanks finally to Namaste Restaurant at 7500 University Ave in Clive, a wide assortment of Indian food from both the northern and southern parts of the country. That's Namaste Restaurant. All right, welcome to the program, folks. Later on the show, Ron Yarnell is going to join us, and we're going to talk about, oh, a bunch of stuff, as I mentioned earlier. But with me in the studio, Iowa's state apiarist, Andy Joseph. Hello. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here, Andy. Yeah, so, um... Bees, uh, for those who for those who live in the at least the northern half of the country, I suppose, maybe even in the south, this is this is honey extraction season. This is the time of the year when you're going to go out there and uh, capture that uh, that sweet gold from those beehives. And um, you know, we've had problems in the past. There's been lots of uh, lots of concerns about declining populations, about colony collapse, and for folks who may not be beekeepers. Uh, they think, why do I care? Well, if you eat for a living, and I suspect most people do, bees are important to you. And uh, I think, what, 40% of our crops are pollinated by bees? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even a little more than that. So, you know, here in Iowa, our biggest crops are corn and, and beans, of course. And we don't need honeybees to pollinate corn. That's wind pollinated, of course. But we can certainly get a boost in yield on our beans. And that's something I think a lot of people don't even realize. So one of our major commodity crops here, over 10 million acres or so across the state, gets a, a yield benefit from having pollinators nearby. And bees have no trouble with uh, GMO bees? Well, you know, it's uh, not so much in my understanding the GMO, but sometimes the insecticidal applications to the crops that the GMO uh, varieties permit. So, you know, when we're GMO, sometimes we um, are able to use more uh, widespread herbicides, which takes away bee forage. You know, we like weeds right. as beekeepers. Uh, we like habitat as in, in general for pollinators, and, and a lot of that can disappear with broad-scale use right. of these kind of herbicides and pesticides. And then, you know, uh, as beekeepers, sometimes we do fear those later season pesticide applications in general. Right. And those are those are those are often called neonicotinoids. Nicotinoids. Am I saying it right? Yeah, it's part of this, especially yeah. some of the seed treatment insecticides right. are in that class there. Yeah. And some places have banned their use because of the destruction of uh, bee populations. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Some of the European countries have. Canada uses uh, some of them only by permission. You have to prove that you have a justified sort of circumstance. Yeah. Uh, before you're permitted. And the connection between these chemicals and damage to to bees is, is, is not speculative. It's confirmed, correct? Right. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, the uh, EPA has changed some of the ways that they study the effects of insecticides in, in relatively recent history. And it's the more you look for, you know, uh, cause and effect, you know, the more you find it. And so it used to be very simple tests only to adult bees, for example, and now we're looking at larval stages and development and sort of sublethal effects on the colonies, not just how much of this chemical does it take to kill an adult honeybee in our circumstance, but, you know, you know, uh, less than that, is there an effect, say, on the egg-laying ability of the mm. queen or the larval development or the lifespan of workers or, or the queen or, or as you you know, out, other effects that never were looked at before? Yeah, and as you pointed out, too, on the, on the, on the plants that uh, produce the, uh, the, uh, the, the nectar that bees need to, uh, to thrive. Mm, that's right, yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, 
over the last, uh, I don't know, decade or more, there's been growing concern about the uh, decimation of, of bee colonies. Again, in some cases, too, what's called colony collapse, which has been, there's been some, some, some element of mystery to that, uh, right. but also to mites and other, other, other uh, problems. Uh, what would you say, what, what is the... Um, what is the B report these days? We are we seeing a, a, a stabilization of the loss? Are we seeing you know, increased? Uh, thri- are they thriving more? Are they are they declining even further? Gosh, you know it's it's almost predictably it's it's complicated. You know some things are great and other things are bad. Like in the immediacy. Uh, I think we've got good crops of honey this year, which is in, a in very Iowa? good thing. Yeah, right yeah, here well, in Iowa. What about, about nationally? Nationally, very good as well. You know, uh, so much of our U.S. honey comes straight out of the Dakotas. North and South Dakota are the biggest beekeeping states in the U.S. I did not and know And they that. have had just an exceptional crop this year, just hive stacked tall with honey boxes. How do you, so what do you, what do you attribute in. that to? Uh, just late season, everything hit, you know. And that was very similar for us. About the time that a lot of us were getting worried at whether or not we were going to even have a crop this year. Because our weather was just so up and down, and then it rained, rained, rained. Right. Seemed like spring was never going to get here, and then it seemed like summer was never going to get here. Cool and rainy is not good for making honey, and then things dried out, heated up, and the plants just almost overproduced. So, and I, I think that's true for the Dakotas as well. It's actually been a good honey uh, production year, which was a saving grace because again, these, this is all complicated, right? So the immediacy is things are really good. But we sure There's had a lot of, uh, yeah. of deaths over last winter, you know, and mm. uh, nationally we're riding over 40 percent loss over those winter months, and wow. which is, you know, nobody would argue that that's sustainable. Here in Iowa, we're uh, at least 20 percent higher than that, I think. I think our winter loss was somewhere between 60 and 70 percent. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, we lost our hive. Yeah. 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 So, um, but but the three highs we have now are all doing very very well as far as we can tell. We're getting ready to extract honey this week. So right. We'll yeah. That and goes. so that's yeah. that saving grace sort of circumstance. You know, just coincidentally, we had a, a huge loss in late spring and, and slowed springtime development for these new hives. And in an average year, you may have been still building that hive and missed. Right. All of this potential honey so, and surplus, so, so but we know, they we, kind of timed well and caught we, it. We know that uh, certain chemicals are deadly for bees. We know that the varroa mite uh, and the increase in varroa mite populations is problematic for beekeeping. Climate change. Uh, also problematic, but in some ways perhaps the uh, – <laughs> this may sound counterintuitive, but the uh, – the uh, the delayed spring and the sudden onslaught of this amazing amount of pollen production, uh, and that to some extent that might have been climate enhanced. Yeah, I think so. so is, uh, you know. what, what is the impact of climate change on 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 bee populations? Yeah, um, that's a that's a great question. And, and again, you know, of course, it's complicated. That should surprise nobody. But you know, uh, our weather is so up and down, and mm-hmm. uh, we're having uh, potentially a milder winter. But it seems like. If you think of it through a, a pollinator's eyes, where you know they're they're burning calories but not finding food, right? That that's that's when winter starts, and, and it goes until food starts coming in again. Right. And you know, um, around Thanksgiving last year, southeast Iowa had two feet of snow. Yeah, and then it warmed up a little bit, and you know, and by our perspectives, we had a long, uh, long fall until things kind of went downhill towards so, winter. Second week of January, then the polar vortex came and right. put us in our place. You know, yeah. exactly. So you know, this up and down kind of shifts in our weather are, are really hard on on insects. You know that that snow that event there that happened around the end of november really shut things down you know it stopped food coming in the hive Mm -hmm. but yet when that temperature stayed warm for so long warmer than average well those bees metabolism stayed up and they ate through food stores and they were aging and the queen wasn't laying because the food stores were shut off and and so you kind of went into winter already with old bees Mm -hmm. and then we had our up and down our polar vortexes things like this which are uh, a healthy bee colony uh, can survive you know cold temperatures in a harsh winter there's no question to that but right. it's when you've got you know uh, you know a number of things against you already yeah. and those stressors add up and then you have that spring so that what, just kind what, of drags what on what about the news out of brazil this week where uh where they've they've, they've lost what how many how many uh, was it 500 well yeah the article that you were 500 sharing million bees 500 million killed? bees and and that's a, a yeah. thing you know uh i think journalists love to to use the biggest number possible so sure. let's talk about individual bees but you know if you give that 500 million B number. We're talking a lot of hives here. You know, if I give credit and say these are nice, big, robust colonies, you know, maybe you could throw out a number of 50,000 just to keep it simple, bees per hive. And you, so you're still talking about 10,000 plus hives that were, you know, devastated right. uh, by this. So, 
you know, actions and, and, have consequences. And, and, and for people sure. in Brazil, observers and environmentalists and, and, and bee folks in Brazil are attributing it to the uh, increased use of certain chemicals that, again, are being banned in Europe, uh, limited in Canada. Right. Um, yeah, and, uh, and yet, under the leadership of the very right wing president there, uh, the the uh, the use of these chemicals is being um, allowed with increasing uh, increasing uh, freedom, hmm. and so this problem is likely to get worse. Yeah, well, that's the concern. You know, with neonicotinoids, we're certainly familiar with them here. You know, these are what we sure. use on our crops, and then the other uh, pesticide that's included in there is fipronil, which you know we use that on this and that. I know it's used on uh, flea and tick collars. You know, treatment kind of stuff for for our household pets and and. Um, uh, Termidor is a product for it, you know, around the perimeter of your house to keep termites and ants and things like that away. So, you know, we have these these same ingredients, actives uh, licensed yeah. for use here in the U.S. too. And again, some of the, as you mentioned, some of these things are home products that can be just as damaging to right. a bee colony in the city or out, out in the country. But with the, in, in an agricultural state like Iowa, it would seem like uh, uh, maybe bees have a better chance of thriving in an urban environment? Yeah, I think that uh, there's concern, you know, with pesticide contamination no matter mm -hmm. where you are. You know, for the countryside, I think we actually see lower rates of application, but over much, much broader scales. Mm -hmm. In town, we see higher amounts of application, you know, per plant, per tomato plant or whatever, you know. But it's a spotty dotted sort of and more uh, and more more quilt. and more urban urban farmers urban gardeners are, are going organic sure yes yeah which could definitely be encouraged on a smaller scale you know uh, for all of us growing our own foods i mean that should be something that I, I think we should look at as a positive challenge is how can i grow this as smartly and as sensitively as possible yeah it also often means uh, less expensive as well yeah there, there's some there's some uh, some very uh uh, homemade products that can be very effective. Excellent. And some of them are just planting decisions. Where you, where you plant things, right. how you plant them. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, well, this is uh, again, honey harvest season in much of the country. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so, we're all going through this right now, and it's a mountain of work, but it is kind of a joy. So, I, what, I think one last question: uh, the, uh, If bees continue to go the direction that they have, and we see. A further decimation of populations, or even heaven forbid, uh, the if the bee ends up on the extinction list, what is Plan B for the forty percent of our crops that to, that require pollinators to survive? I don't know if there is Plan B. You know, I think that well, much like a lot of climate change, it's you know we're just heading in a direction, and we're not really you know planning for anything else you know we're just going down maybe a bad road and i don't know i'm not so extreme i think that the honeybees are going to go extinct anything like that but you know a lot of the things that are challenging and wrong in the honeybees world are things that are directly man related you know that's it's us that's putting them into these environmental circumstances it's us that you know with the contamination issues it's us with the lack of diversity in the environment and and you know an optimistic view on that is that since we're the cause of much of this, then maybe we could also be the change of it. Mm. But gosh, you know, if, if we don't make certain decisions within yeah. a reasonable timeline, yeah. I, I don't know that we have a way out. Well, I, I and I, I assume you would as well encourage anybody who is uh, interested to consider becoming a beekeeper, uh, whether you're in the suburbs, the city, or in, out in the country. Although I think some suburbs and maybe even some cities uh, are more restrictive. In Des Moines, you're free to do what you want. That's right. Yeah. Des Moines, land of freedom. <laughs> that's right. Within certain parameters. Within certain course. parameters. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, I've when got my Iowa, yeah. my Iowa honey producer hat on. As you bring up, you know, new beekeeper education, we have a great state association uh, through the Iowa honey producers. And uh, we offer, gosh, 35 or 40 classes in different mm -hmm. locations all across the state aimed at educating people that are just getting their feet wet with beekeeping and these classes occur through the winter months and yeah. so if anybody is interested in this i'd really encourage you to check out the the website uh, iowahoneyproducers.org and other Go states uh you know your 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 county extensions your um i mean i, I there's, there's there's i assume there's some similar entity in every state Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, most states have a state bee association. You could Google it, you know, no matter where the listeners are and, and find something, a local club or a state association. You're, you're not the only uh, state apiarist in the country. There's one probably 
Most states have one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At one point in time, I think they were close to 50. I, I feel like that number is more around 30, you well, know, 27, cut, they, 30. They've eliminated the job in some, some states? states, yeah. Or, you know, the, the state apiarist may be wearing several different hats. You that could sort probably of thing. use an assistant apiarist. So that sounds work. good to me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. No, I, I enjoy my job. I feel fortunate to have it. And uh, yeah. that's that's why my family came out to Iowa is for this this position. And we, mm. we came here from Kentucky 11 years ago and haven't really looked back. It's been good. Yeah, great. Yeah. Hey, folks, we've been talking with Andy Joseph. You're listening to the Fallon Forum. I'm Ed Fallon, your host. Again, we're broadcasting live from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of Iowa. Also a great place to raise bees, I guess. Uh, for the most part, for absolutely. Now. Yeah. yeah, and again, uh, Lorena twelve sixty AM ninety six point five FM is our or is our host station here. When we come back in just a couple minutes, Ron Yarnell is going to join us. We're going to talk Trump here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns. Someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- Two four six eight one four nine. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Namaste India is one of the best Indian restaurants in the Des Moines metro. Located at 7500 University Avenue in Clive, Namaste offers a broad range of cuisine from both northern and southern India. Namaste's menu also includes delicious Indo-Chinese and Nepalese dishes. Owner Rani Singh has been in the restaurant business for over 12 years, providing a truly unique culinary feature for Central Iowa diners. Open Wednesday through Monday for lunch and supper, Namaste also delivers to your door. That's Namaste Restaurant 515-255-1698. That's 515-255-1698. 
the Fallon Forum. That's Brother Trucker kicking off our conversation here with Ron Yarnell, uh, a, a close observer of all things crazy, including uh, the antics of President Trump, uh, our president, of course, at the G7 summit. Um, the only, uh, the only state leader to skip the climate meeting, and uh, again, not only were the other six there, but uh, some other significant. Uh, Emissaries from, I think, China and elsewhere were also there, but President Trump had a conflict. Anyway, um, I don't even know where to start. I mean, we we don't we don't try to talk about Donald Trump just because it fills time. It just is always something to kind of take a look at and say, what the heck is going on? I was reading an article the other day how uh, Mr. Trump has gone a long way to basically hold our psyches psyches hostage with his constant stuff baggage that he unloads on us. The, uh, I'm glad you raised the, uh, the, the issue of the, um, the climate meeting because, you know, I don't know about you. Actually, you just told me how old you are. So you're, you're old enough to remember when the United States used to take lead on a lot of things, uh, used to set the agenda for other Democratic countries. And it seemed to me uh, this response to the uh, Amazon uh, situation, the Amazon fires, uh, in the old United States, this would have been like a John Wayne moment. This would have been like, yeah, we're, we're you, going, we're you, going in, and France, we're gonna, yeah, we're France going, leading the way on that. We're going right? in, and we're going to go in for fun and glory, and, and we're just going to show our stuff, and we're going to show Yankee ingenuity. And this time, uh, uh, President Trump begged off, claimed other meetings, although who he was meeting with yeah. is obscure because yeah, apparently yeah. all the other world leaders. We're there. So. Yeah, yeah. What, what was that about? What I mean, it's, it's it definitely sounds like an excuse, but you know, you, he wasn't well, content well, it to say I just It makes a statement that he wasn't there, right? I mean, there were. But what there, was he doing? There were. There Where were, was he at? <laughs> there were some of his representatives there, but you know, when you're not there, that yeah, says this is not things. that important to you. Right. And, and we, um, here we have Macron coming up with a significant financial right. contribution to helping to fight the fires. I don't know quite what's well, in that. Well, Macron is really kind of stealing the G7 show this time around. Uh, uh, and I, I think uh, he has uh, set— uh, Home field advantage. Uh, set uh, President Trump on his heels because uh, Macron have apparently invited uh, a representative of Iran— uh, to join, and the United States didn't know anything about that or didn't know anything about that till the last moment. And, and so I'm looking at this, I'm wondering, uh, you know, is the United States basically being sidelined here? I mean, is, is the price of uh, the Trump uh, the Trump administration's America first policy that, okay, then we're just going to talk about what we want to talk about. In America, you can, whatever you want to do, well, go ahead. We don't really care anymore. Mm. Uh, basically, the United States being sidelined uh, uh, in, in, in international conversations. Uh, not by being, choice. By, not, yeah, well. by <laughs> not being seen as relevant anymore. There was a thing at the beginning of the G7 where uh, the United States uh, representatives complained because uh, the French wanted to talk about quote-unquote niche issues. Well, there weren't niche issues to the French. <laughs> uh, what were they? Well, they included climate change. Oh, yeah, your that's, a, that's a niche issue. issue. <laughs> um, and um, it, it seems that the United States is just like out of the loop right now. It's not leading the global conversation. It, it's not le uh, leading no, other democratic okay. countries and their agenda. It's just kind of like waiting for the next it, it, Trump it, tweet or well, something. Well, and is this, is, this, uh, is this the reality under the Trump administration, or has this been going on for a while? I think it's the reality under the Trump administration. There's this basic uh, uh, United States uh, attitude of, we're old. Where's our ointment? We don't want to talk about these things anymore. They're too complicated Bring us for our us. Geritol. Bring, bring us our Geritol. We want to talk. And, and then what's, what's maddening, of course, with Trump is he's always talking about trade, 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 and dealing, dealing, dealing. And he, he got himself elected by presenting himself as being this great wheeler dealer. Now, I'm, I'm racking my brain here. And, and, and Ed, you're an intellect, so you, you, you can chime in on this. What great deal has Trump in three years now managed to, managed to accomplish? Well, we got, he got Mexico to pay for the wall. Oh, no, he didn't. Never mind. Well, you know, it, it's like all these deals are just talk. But the economy's doing great, great. Oh, no, never mind. The economy's not doing so Well, the great. economy is doing is basically still on the Obama trajectory, which um, basically means it's mediocre. I mean, I mean, the rec when 
Uh, you have people vying for jobs that are below living wage. Uh, if that's your expanding economy there, then, then you know, what can you say? I mean, we're both old enough to remember when the economy was really booming in the 60s and 50s where uh, a single household wage I don't earned, remember the 50s and barely remember the 60s. Watch it. Well, okay. <laughs> um, I remember the 60s and I'm younger than you are. Well, you were paying attention and I was, I was playing um, street ball anyway. Okay. I, I, I was... Whatever. So we're not going to get into that. But anyway, um, the account, you had one wage earner in the house, sometimes with – my mother was a bartender in the 1960s, and she managed to be a single parent supporting two children and my grandmother, and we had a very nice house. You, you couldn't even possibly do that anymore in today's economy no. by, by having a, jo- a job like that. So, you know, the, when, when Trump comes out and says we have the greatest economy ever, it's like, what are you talking about? Well, yeah. brace yourself for the upcoming recession. Uh, there's hardly an economic advisor out there. Well, maybe Trump's economic advisors, but there's – of all the folks who are independent-minded, they're saying, you know, the recession is coming we don't know how bad it's going to be yet. Well, but it's the recession is coming, and Trump may well trigger it by uh, his policies and his agitation. Tariffs and, and whatnot. And, and, and uh, I, I know that he seems to take a special thrill out of tanking the stock market on a regular basis. And if you're cynical, uh, like I know, Ed, you're kind of cynical. Well, I'm kind of cynical, too. But You anyway, might have a beat in the cynicism it, it, department. It, it's, it's sort of like, uh, is this like to his buddies, a, a, short, a short sale kind of moment, you know, take advantage. I'm going to tank the market, so be ready. You know, I, I don't know. You don't Hang know anymore. The, enjoy the ride. <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah. uh, Trump has uh, inserted a great deal of uncertainty uh, in economics, which from what I understand, traditionally, business people hate. They hate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. They, like, they like stability. So what about all the conversation about, uh, on the Democratic side, about who is the most, who was the candidate who can beat Donald Trump? You know, uh, there's a, a lot of the folks within the party saying it's got to be it's got to be Joe Biden. Got to be Joe Biden. Uh, polling shows that Biden, Sanders, Warren, um, uh, Harris, at least maybe I'm missing somebody. All those all those candidates beat Trump by one margin, one point or another. I, I, I think one uh, ten points. I think I, I think uh, Joe Biden does not suit the temperament of the country right now. Uh, and a, a debate stage between him and Trump would be a Trump show. Uh, How so? How so? Uh, I mean, uh, because uh, Biden knows uh, policy really, really well. He's been around a long time. Yeah, but but he doesn't. He do, Trump. Trump I mean, doesn't care about policy, and that's been his major advantage. He just comes at you with a kind of on a, an emotional. Mm. Basic values level, he, and, and what would that look like in a Trump Biden debate? It would be a lot of insult, a lot of a lot of hectoring, lots of making fun of Biden's age. Yeah, he's about the same age as Trump. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> making fun of Biden for his gaffes, uh, which he seems to produce on on an amazing, regular basis. He does, yeah. yeah, but but I mean, you've got the Biden gaffes, and you've got the uh, the uh, Trump lies, or. Just misstatements. Maybe, maybe they're well, accidental once in a while. Maybe he didn't I, mean. Yeah. I, I, I think that Joe Biden, uh, basically, I, I don't think Joe Biden will work. Uh, Sanders, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, crazy about this time around because I don't think Sanders has a command of the Democratic Party. Uh, and I think that'd be very important to the president to have a command of the party if he's really going to get the well, radical agenda which he proposes done. Trump was uh, was a persona non grata within the Republican Party until he won the nomination. Yeah, but, 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 tr- but, but Trump, but, but Trump is him. ruthless. Right. <laughs> Trump is, I mean, well, yeah, but, and, uh, uh, and, and Sanders may not be ruthless, but the Democratic Party is going to get behind whoever wins the nomination. I, I, Absolutely. Don't, I, I don't think I, – I think the Democratic Party uh, – is built on a great deal of loyalty uh, within the party. And uh, Bernie Sanders has never been a real Democrat. Okay, Bernie Sanders versus Trump. The party is going to get behind Sanders. I mean, but, I don't care uh, who it is. Even you could win the nomination. But, they get behind you. Uh, but in the actual Bernie Sanders administration, let's suppose Bernie Sanders gets elected president. His inability to be a party person, to be a party leader, I think is going to come back to bite him. I mean, he may, I may well build... I don't, I don't think know. the he Democratic might. Party matters that much when you're talking about, you know, crafting federal policy. Okay. They, we, they, you, they matter just, a lot in the just, campaign, but you, not in the— Do you think Bernie Sanders is in favor of taking action for climate uh, causes? Yes, and I think, I think a lot of the candidates and are. And you just mentioned that the Democratic Party, as expressed through the DNC, doesn't even want to debate the matter. 
Yeah, I know. Isn't that amazing? So, so, so there you go. Yeah. I, I you mean, know, I, 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 now, can... now I think, uh, personally, I think the best candidate, and this is, I admit, favoritism, uh, I like uh, I like the way Elizabeth Warren handles herself. I would love to see Elizabeth Warren be on the debate stage with Trump, especially uh, shove that uh, Pocahontas stuff right back at him. <laughs> well, let's um, let's talk more about the uh, DNC debate when we come back from a short break. But but before we do that, I, I got to ask you one more question relevant to the G seven and Trump's recent statements this week. Uh, Again, he's now denying this, but I have a feeling that, given the sources, that it's probably true, that he thought, hey, hurricanes coming at the U.S., why don't we just drop a, a big, bad nuclear bomb in the middle of that one of those, those hurricanes, throw it off its course, and it will, it will never hit the U.S.? You know, it's, a, it's, the, kind, it's the kind of question <laughs> that you ask a, uh, an advisor, a science advisor in confidence, like, what would happen if we did this? And then the science advisor would tell you, and you go, Oh, okay. And then you would drop it? Yeah. Because well, he's I, brought it up several times, apparently. I know, exactly. Yeah. See, that, that's the thing. Like, how how does he get into these kind of, like, uh, um, I mean, mental warps here where these things seem like a great idea? I mean, it's sort of he – do, he does that on occasion with, with various – the Greenland uh, – "Quote unquote sale was well, an example yeah. of that. Maybe he wanted to turn Greenland into a nuclear testing well, site. Well, one I don't thing know. it's like it's it's so very 19th century that you want to buy this piece of geography with its population yeah, neo-colonialism without really asking them. Uh, yeah. you know, right, right. You know, right. and Denmark has to tell you it really is up to Greenland. They are autonomous, and you know what? They don't want to be. They don't want to be <laughs> you. You know, it's just, yeah, yeah. Know. So, um. You know, the, the, the nuke a hurricane idea is not original to Trump. I mean, it was first considered back under the Eisenhower administration. And then under the Johnson administration, President Johnson and his advisors considered using nuclear weapons to, de- to blow up mountains that were in the way of planned interstate highways out west. So this kind of crazy talk is not new. But what's interesting is that, uh, you know, these ideas were raised, abandoned because they were crazy talk, and now – Uncle Donald is bringing them up again, and you, and you never, and you never hear about them. You know, they just be. And, and the other thing that's interesting about the Trump administration is we we've read about how basically his administration is a is a nest of vipers. I mean, these are people who are out to backstab each Stop other. Stop bad mouthing snakes, Ron. Well, <laughs> there you go. But so it's interesting to me, like with Greenland and with this nuclear weapon on hurricanes thing, there are members of his administration who are glad to leak this stuff out. They, they, they're they glad to let uh, people know what Trump thinks. And Trump's always blaming the fake news media, but his administration <laughs> feeds it. <laughs> and then and then once they're booted out of the administration, they have lots of things to say. Oh, they, yeah, yeah, with uh, good old... Uh, the um, who was the uh, fellow? Um, he was the communications director. He had a funny Bannon? Uh, nickname. Uh, oh. uh, anyway, yeah, but he just came out with a, a, a scathing uh, denouncement of, of Trump as being a maniac, and yeah, you know. <laughs> and on that note, on the on the on the word maniac, we we shall go to a break. Uh, folks, this is Ed Fallon with you. Ron Yarnell, our guest, will continue the live stream and the conversation here on the Fallon Forum in just a few minutes after these, uh, these, these breaks, uh, this break from the uh, folks who support the station we're broadcasting from. That's Brother Trucker, folks. They're tuned downtown, and we're back to our conversation as we broadcast from downtown Des Moines, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. We're on Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM live every Monday at 11 o'clock Central Time. Rebroadcast on a whole bunch of stations. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. Also on the Fallon Forum website, you'll find a podcast of this program and every other program we've done for the past 10 years, uh, not entirely, but as many as we could possibly uh, stick on the site. Okay, so a quick shout-out to some of our business partners here who support this program. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway also has a catering service. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Hawk also has a booth at the downtown Des Moines Farmer's Market every Saturday morning. 
Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage located at 6th and College. Don't toss your car yet. Take it to Sergeant's. He'll get it fixed up. Done it with mine. Oh, I don't know. Many, many times. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. No appointment needed. Stop by, folks. That's Diversity Insurance. Finally, thanks to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. For all your tax and accounting needs, give Yingsa at Community CPA a shout. All right, so again, thanks for sticking with us today, folks. Later in the program, we're going to talk about what happened in Paradise and what's happening in Paradise, California now, nearly a year after the uh, the country's worst fire ever. But first, we're going to turn our attention to a few matters relevant to politics. Uh, I want to look at the DNC debate or the DNC uh, meeting that ixnade a debate. I want to look at... Uh, Bill Maher, uh, his comments about David Koch and David Koch generally, and also a local issue of interest relevant to uh, corporate involvement with the Democratic Party. But first, the DNC meeting this past weekend in San Francisco, the main highlight of that was, well, Thursday, a panel voted down the idea of having a climate debate, but they decided to not punish candidates who might participate in an unsanctioned debate. And then on Saturday, the DNC did what many of us expected they might do. They voted, they, they, could, they reaffirmed the, uh, that they would not host a climate debate, and they reneged on their, uh, their statement that they would allow candidates who did go to another debate to continue to participate in other debates. So they, they uh, so, uh, if, what, what uh, the heck? If uh, <laughs> some of the big league candidates like uh, Sanders and Warren and Biden wanted to do uh, a climate debate, what could the DNC actually do to stop them? Uh, unless, of course, they already knew ahead of time that Warren and, Sp- and uh, Sanders, I would be surprised if Sanders didn't want to debate that. Yeah, so uh, the, the DNC, according to the current rules, if, uh, if, um, if, uh, an organization or two or three wants to host a debate uh, on climate, they, those, those candidates would not be allowed to participate in other DNC debates. So, you know... So, so what so they're basically... So basically what I'm thinking is that, first of all, they don't see climate as an issue that grabs voters. Well, no, they don't see it as a crisis, and, and it's, which is amazing because it polls as one of the top two concerns... Among but not Democratic to the but, but not voters. but not to the DNC. Well, they, no. they, they apparently are not reading those polls. And the other issue right. is, and this could be mixed up in it. Part of the matrix is uh, because we know that both major political parties are owned and operated by the richest people, the top one percent. Uh, that uh, they're looking at their patrons, and their patrons aren't interested in pursuing the issue. Um, so. Is it a mixture of that? Is it more about the money, uh, uh, losing, uh, risking losing revenue from yeah. pa- patrons who, who, yes. who don't there, want? There, there's a significant revenue stream. I mean, there's no doubt that most of the money coming from the oil and gas industry goes to the Republican Party. But there's enough of it going to Democrats where they don't want to take a chance at losing that revenue stream. I think that's what's behind this. I think it's the main reason. And so, of course, the excuse is, well, we can't have a climate debate because then they'll want to have a debate on – on the economy, on, on health care. Well, uh, come on. Uh, there's a difference between all these really, really important issues and a crisis that threatens our very existence. And the truth is, look at the last debate. Nearly half the conversation was about health care. You've already had your health care debate. Uh, a very, very small amount of time was given to climate change, not enough to really have a, a, a real debate about it. Not even – most candidates didn't get a chance to even weigh in on I it. I have absolutely no recollection of the most recent Democratic debate on health care, other than well, – What were you doing, Ron? Other than health care is good. Oh. I, mean, I, I, oh, I, I, I see. Yeah. I, well, it was a lot of it was over Medicare for all versus uh, yeah. an approach and, and to, those, and those, are, and those will be interesting things to debate because I think that uh, Medicare for all is not an idea above criticism. Uh, there are – I mean – I believe in universal health care, but there are different ways around the world that other countries have gotten at universal health care. Um, so my feeling is the DNC just shot itself in the foot by uh, not only by, – by coming out against the climate debate. It, they, they hurt their credibility. They hurt the party. They hurt the, they hurt the work that we're doing to fight 
you know, back against climate change. But um, were they mostly ever, they hurt well, Were they ever engaged in that work? No, not not in any big way. So they didn't really hurt their efforts. <laughs> well, they, not they, I think they hurt their credibility. Uh, there was some hope that they might do the right thing on this, and they chose not to. And that's going to come back to hurt them. But uh, – Again, part of it is because they've got money coming in from the oil and gas industry. But as we just know, uh, there's no more, uh, you know, no more fortunate recipient of oil and gas money than the Republican Party. Uh, and they just lost one of their biggest uh, supporters, of course, David Koch, passed uh, away. But his legacy lives on. But his legacy lives on. Uh, and he gets some... Um, uh, I don't know whether you're following into the conversation, but he's gotten no shortage of, uh, of um, you know, usually when somebody dies, even if you don't like that person, and maybe this is the Midwest, I don't know, when somebody dies, you say, you try to look at the, the good side of that person. Uh, a lot of folks aren't doing that with uh, David Koch. Uh, Bill Mayer, um, Mar, I guess I, I'm saying it wrong, uh, says, uh, <laughs> he he says, quote, okay, his fan, clean his, out the, friend, or the family unfriendly parts of yes, what Bill uh, Maher says. Bill Maher says, uh, uh, David Koch was 79, but his family says they wish it could be longer, but at least he lived long enough to see the Amazon catch fire. Um, <laughs> uh, condolences poured in from all the politicians he owned, and mourners are being asked in lieu of flowers to just leave their car engine running. And then he um, basically says, I'm glad he's dead. I hope the end was painful. And that's like, you know, I, I mean, I, I, that's I don't. That's Bill I don't. Yeah, well, but there's a lot of, you, you go on Facebook and there's a lot of that. A lot of people are saying the same thing. Good riddance. Goodbye. Hope you burn in hell. You're a horrible person. You know, I, that's, that, well, we just stoop, the, you know, we stoop to a level that I think. What I've read, uh, what I've read, and and you can go either way on this. If you're if you're on the right, this may sound commendable. But uh, David Koch and his family, uh, his brother Charles, they have effectively reshaped the whole climate debate their way, um, and they they have taken the lead on it. their their money. Their money. They put their money in the right places to cast a doubt on climate change. Oh yeah, and, and uh, that's and. The best example I thought uh, what the, the paradigm that they worked with was uh, the old uh, tobacco cigarette smoking uh, that where the tobacco companies basically uh, cast enough doubt that you would mm. actually get cancer or heart disease from smoking that uh, people say, well, you know, not yeah. really sure. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that even though you may. You may not. You may be glad this person is no longer around to cause trouble, to wreak havoc on the world. It's it's bad form to to kind of come out and say that. It just uh, it, it takes a the conversation to a lower level. We we have a president who got elected on bad. Form. I know, and I and I, I don't think that's a good thing. I, you know, I mean, I, I could see Bill. I could see uh, you know President Trump saying that about Bill Maher or somebody else that he doesn't like. You know, yeah, that, that, <laughs> so, that's welcome. Welcome to the brave new yeah. world, Ed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. So uh, here in Des Moines, um, we have a big event coming up: the uh, Polk County Steak Fry. Maybe you're planning to go. Uh, I think every Democratic presidential candidate is going. I believe they sold about six thousand tickets. Oh my! Now they um they tend to contract with a, a the the largest grocery chain in Iowa, High V. Uh, and, you know, they pay them over six figures to provide the uh, food for this event. Uh, and it came to light recently, and I was, I was part of the reason this, this came to light, was the, uh, the funding of the, um, of the uh, sorry, the, the, the support provided to the Republican Party when President Trump came to Des Moines to have a fundraiser, at which uh, me and a few other people were present, shall we say. And so... Um, so uh, the Democrats got the idea saying, well, you know, you ought to also be a sponsor of our we – we're paying you six figures to do this. You ought to at least, you know, drop 25 grand to be a sponsor, like, you know, you know somewhat comparable to the money you've given to, a, uh, to the Republicans. No, not, not exactly, but at least a token gesture of support mm -hmm. for bipartisanness. They said no. And so the Polk County Democrats are now saying, well, we're never – we're we're, next year we're going to look for another venue – Another vendor, rather. We're not going to contract with High V. And my thought is, why did it take you this long? And why did it take just refusing a donation, or refusing to give a donation? And because, because 
Hy-Vee is the lead sponsor on so much of what is hateful on most commercial radio stations. They sponsor Rush Limbaugh. They sponsor Jan Michelson. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing they also sponsor the Hannity Show. You know, they are a huge sponsor on the biggest radio station in Iowa that spews the most hateful rhetoric. So Why do they do and, that? And, and, they do that because they believe that's uh, what their customer base wants. That's no, no, no. What, they, they do find. it because that's what their management wants. And that's pretty clear given the, their contributions. Is it clear? Well, yeah, you look, look, look who they give to. They don't give to Democrats. They don't give to the Democratic Party. They donate to Republicans. And why, so, would the, why do they do that? Because it's consistent with their philosophy of life. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because it's consistently, consistent with their, their philosophy of being a business, uh, with maintaining a cheap and docile workforce, of, of just keeping control. And okay. they see the Republicans as being more helpful in that direction than the Democrats. Yes. Although the Democrats and, have been no slouches <laughs> That either at times. Well, the Democrats have been friendlier on those issues, yeah. uh, you know, to, to workers, to wages, to uh, a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, significantly, I would think. Uh, I mean, I, I think there are there are, there are other places where the the line is kind of gray between where Democrats and Republicans differ, but on this one, it's pretty solid. But so I so it's baffling to me that. That uh, that it would take Democrats this long to decide. Hey, you know, maybe we don't want to contract. Well, this, it's not baffling to me because Hy-Vee is a Iowa brand. I think that one of the jokes I've heard uh, because I'm a transplant to Iowa is that uh, everyone at one point or other uh, works for works for Hy-Vee. <laughs> you know, it's less, it's just part of a rite of passage of being an Iowan. Um, Putting in your time in high school or whatever, so they're an Iowa brand. Uh, a lot of people have that kind of loyalty. High V's are everywhere. Uh, yeah, I can tell you a story about a high V in a small town in southern Iowa where uh, they, you know, they were the only grocery store in town right. at some point. So they jacked up the prices. Everything was getting way yeah. too expensive, yeah. and local people in a small town banded together to raise enough equity to build their own grocery store to provide some an alternative to Hy-Vee's overpriced mm-hmm. products. And what of course what of course happens then, Hy-Vee brings these prices down and mm-hmm. tries to put that store out of business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I I'm sorry, I have no love for a business that does that, and I have even less love for them because of the way they have sponsored the most hateful programs on the radio. I mean, they they sponsored they, they sponsored a program that actively tried to dis, tried to um spew hate about uh a gay man on the school board years ago. This is back when it was dangerous to be out and gay and public and a public figure. And this guy had to wear a wear, wear, wear um it's Jonathan Wilson. He had to wear a bulletproof vest. He was his life was threatened repeatedly. He ended up losing. And this is a show that High V helped sponsor. So I, I just it's baffling to me that the Democrats could even think of uh, working with a business that is so counter to the things they allegedly believe in. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I mean, well, I, mean I, I, I don't see these things as a surprise. Uh, Hy-Vee is a business. Uh, they right. make they make calculations. They may make flawed calculations. I mean, they make calculations through the prejudices and biases of their management. But uh, they see those shows that they advertise on as being being their ticket. Yeah. That's and and as a private as private enterprise, they're, they're allowed to do that. Right. The, the only thing I can say is I, I, again, I'm not. I'm not. The faulting. only the only alternative is to say you know I'm not faulting we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna boycott Hy-Vee, We're gonna throw our money towards Fairway, or we're gonna throw Price Chapel, or we're gonna toss it at Gateway. You know your favorite. Yeah. But you know what? I, I've seen those movements just there's never a lot, get anywhere. Just, you know, there's a lot of small locally owned uh, grocery stores in every community. Not mm-hmm. not, in, not in every. In a lot of small towns, no, but in, in larger communities like Des Moines, you can find a dozen small grocery stores. But um, my, my point is, I don't fault the owner of any business for engaging in whatever level of political involvement they want, for whatever candidate or political party they want. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that when people who believe very differently support that business, when that business is acting uh, counter to their best interest, and yet they still go out and support them when there are alternatives. That's what bugs me. And that's what I don't get about the Democratic Party here in Polk County. Why would they have stuck with this corporation for so long, knowing there are alternatives, knowing how they, know, knowing the kind of rhetoric they, they support that is, again, just, just, 
just just blatantly against the values of the party. Just spitballing, I would say is because uh, the Democrats see Hy-Vee as, like I said, the Iowa brand, yeah. and they want to be identified with that. Anyway, uh, a, a very, very small and restrained round of applause for the Polk County Democratic Party for finally agreeing not to support Hy-Vee. So where are they going <laughs> for their... Uh, uh, well, they're going to they're have Hy-Vee for this time because they're, they're locked in. Well, they already got a contract signed, huh? Yeah, but there's... Um, well, yeah, it's three, three weeks away. It's a big event. I mean, again, this will be a nationally mm-hmm. recognized event. There'll be so many candidates there, so much activity. But so for next year, they'll do something different. Good for them at last. It took a while, but hey, welcome aboard. And maybe at some point the uh, National Democratic Party will say, hey, you know, maybe we should hold a climate debate after all. Maybe it won't be till 2024. I don't know. <laughs> like we have all that time. Well, like we have all that time. But climate change is just going to sit, sit back and wait for us. It's yeah. not going to really. Yeah it's, yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah. We have plenty of time. Lots of Amazon still to be burned. That's right. There's plenty of ice to melt in in the Antarctic yeah. and in the Arctic and Greenland. I mean, go look at all that ice. Take your time. That's not going to melt too fast, right? No. No. But you know when the polar bears start floating down south on icebergs and start eating. Suburban families, then we know we'll get a political response. Okay, that could be a while. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I jest. I jest. Okay. Anyway, we've I'm hoping g- that's not our hope because. It's not our hope at all. All right, hey, Ron Yarnell has been our guest here. Folks, when we come back from a short break, if you're listening on our community on stations, we're going to talk about the Paradise Fire a year later on the Fallon Forum. They called it Paradise, the place to be. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Uh, The uh, burning of the Amazon has captured uh, the public interest the past week, uh, both because of the extent of it and also because of some of the probable motivations behind it. You know, and you know, about a year ago, we were well focused on the horrific uh, outbreak of fire here in our own country. Interestingly, the uh, so far the fire season has been relatively tame, comparatively at least. But uh, you know, we're coming up. We'll be in another two months or less. We'll be uh, remembering the one-year anniversary of the worst uh, fire in U.S. history since 1918, and that is the uh, Camp Fire, which killed, what, 80 of over 80 people and caused uh, incredible amounts of damage. Uh, and we're looking at, uh, what was it? Uh, I'm going to say, six, oh, here it is, $16.5 billion worth of damage. Incredible. And uh, a quarter of that damage, about $4 billion, was uh, for folks who were uninsured. Of course, largely low-income people, um, you know, <laughs> I, low-income folks and, and their residences, of, you know, the, the, the commercial buildings tended to be insured. The people with more money tended to be insured. Uh, so it, it was, um, yeah, there were many reasons why it was the worst fire in, in, in our memory. Um, certainly um, certainly uh, a, a, a traumatic on so many levels. I, I've got a friend, uh, Kendra Walters, whose family is, uh, is, is there in uh, Paradise. And I've been um, interested to see what, um, what has transpired uh, since. I mean, again, it's been, what, 10 months now. And, um, yeah, there was Paradise in the News this past week when the uh, first day of school was announced. And um, the football team, uh, they received some attention because I, I guess Paradise has a good football team. And uh, they hadn't been able to play for a long time because of this. But um, there they were. Uh, on on the home field, uh, beating the opposition, I think forty two to nothing, if I remember correctly, it was quite a <laughs> it was quite a blowout. But the um, you know you think about all the destruction. I mean, just the the incredible amount of uh, damage, and, um, and and you know, and then what's uh, what what uh, how do you recover from that? Well, recovery is not easy. It's uh, it's not just a matter of rebuilding, but you look at the. Uh, the data coming in, and uh, yeah, a lot of sites have been cleared of rubble. Uh, some building permits have been issued, 
some construction has commenced and and uh, there have even been some, I guess there's been a few that have been, you know, rebuilt. But uh, for the most part, this is a huge, long haul. And one question I have, and I haven't really seen conversation about this, but what, uh, what happens, uh, how do you protect yourself from another potential fire? Because if it happened once, it could happen again. I hate to say that, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's reality. You know, they say the lighting doesn't strike the same place twice. Well, I mean, here in Iowa, we've seen tornadoes that um, there are places tornadoes like to hit. There are places that they tend to skip. One place that never gets hit by a tornado in Iowa has never been hit in the 150-plus years we've, we meaning, you know, European settler descendants have been here, Des Moines. Des Moines never gets hit. The uh, native, native population informed us that... Uh, a tornado will never strike in between two rivers. That's, so far, that's been the case. But there are places like Ankeny uh, where tornadoes have been um, frequent visitors. Um, big hailstorms have been frequent visitors. And so I wonder if the area, Paradise, Chico, Butt County, that area, uh, or Butte County, I suppose I should say, I, I, I wonder if that's, <clears throat> that's an area that's going to be increasingly um, prone to fires. And I assume that this is part of the conversation. I haven't, again, tracking that that close, but I presume it's part of the conversation. How do we protect ourselves, our structures, our community? What, what do we need to do to make sure that that kind of a fire never happens again? Even if something happens outside of our borders, how do we keep it from decimating the community itself and, and killing people, injuring so many people, causing 16 billion plus in, in damage? Well. It's a big question. It's a question that communities um, uh, that are trying to address the effects of climate change in other ways are, are wrestling with. Uh, how do you protect yourself from the uh, regularity of what used to be called a 500-year flood? Uh, we've had two 500-year floods in Des Moines in, uh, fift- in 15 years, <laughs> so uh, they can no longer be called that. But again, how do you protect yourself from that? Well, I mean, one thing that's been done here is to build higher levees. But at the same time that uh, the city, with the you know involvement of the Army Corps of Engineers, is building higher levees, they're also continuing to build in the floodplain, which to me seems like a really, really bad idea. And some of the stuff being built in the floodplains close to downtown Des Moines, for example, is expensive, an expensive investment. You know, and we, we, see, we see that elsewhere, too. The, um, you know, how, how, how do communities prepare for the next climate, you know, climate fuel and, you know, climate fuel catastrophe. Um, but also, how do you avoid putting yourself in harm's way? And again, I, I don't know what the answer is for paradise, but I do know that the recovery there is a lot more than simply, um, simply building, rebuilding the community. Uh, as, as Kendra writes to me, um, you know, the, uh, she, wrote, uh, she writes, quote, her, her youngest niece, uh, who was 19, soon to be 20, uh, during the event, during the, the fire, she said she thought she was going to die. And yeah, you've heard that from other people as well. Uh, and when a wall of fire is coming at you and your escape route is cut off, yeah, it feels like you're, you're going to die. And again, plenty of people did. You know, Kendra's niece uh, said she had never run out of gas until the fire uh, the gas stations were closed already, and she barely made it out of the fire. She didn't think she would make it, but by some miracle she did. My brother-in-law said that he thinks he saw a mother and her child burn in a car when he was walking to escape the fire. And his story is that he was struck, stuck in traffic, and he was yelling out, out at the people that if they didn't get moving soon, they were all going to burn up. The fire was right behind them. He got out of his car to help someone else. And when he returned to his car, it was on fire. And he had to walk. And he was walking when uh, Kendra's sister took a wrong turn and spotted him. And he got in her car and his skin was boiling hot. She couldn't even touch his skin. That's Kendra's story about, from her family out in, 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 um, in paradise. And again, part of what she's saying is, it takes a long time to recover emotionally 
from this damage. He says, quote, my sister is suffering from depression, anxiety, and PTSD from the fire. Um, Sarah has anxiety, and Matt has it too. Sarah refused to go back to paradise because it hurts too much. So, you know, the, the scars are not just the uh, burned-out homes and buildings and, and uh, forests. It's, uh, it's what happens inside, you know, in your mind, in your heart, when you uh, experience this kind of loss, whether it's a, a fire in California or a flood in the Midwest or a hurricane in Puerto Rico, say. Um, the impacts of climate change aren't just physical. And at some point, we have to wake up to that reality. And I don't think we're there yet. You know, but uh, again, we keep talking about this, and hopefully people start paying attention. I mean, I really want to commend uh, Kendra for, I mean, she's got <laughs> an interesting situation. She has family in, in paradise, and, and she also uh, has connections in southwest Iowa, where, again, you, you know, we, we, one of the hardest places hit by flooding this year. So, uh, again, I, I'm excited. You know, there are those who say that, well, once a disaster is hit, you should never, ever go back. But I'm, I'm glad to see paradise recovering. I hope that the recovery includes appropriate plans to avoid the next fire, just as I hope recovery plans along the Missouri River and on the Mississippi River in Davenport include plans to avoid the next flood, because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And again, maybe there'll never be a, fa a fire as bad as what hit Paradise, uh, but there's no doubt that there will be bad fires that hit other places in the American West, just as there's no doubt there will be floods that hit um, flood-prone flood areas in other parts of the country. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.